until the glorious crown be won. Amen. To him who has decked us with such great blessings as this, things seen, yes, but as we were reminded on Thanksgiving morning in this sanctuary, things unseen, the things about which we've just sung, those that are ours, and yet we have to take full possession of them. I say, in light of all the riches that the Lord has poured upon us, untold, let's give to him our tithes and offerings with gratitude from our hearts. As a matter of fact, you did as you entered his house. Now we'll give them to him with praise to Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Would you be seated, please, and prepare ourselves to bring these prayers to the Lord who hears and has always answered the prayers from this house so wonderfully and faithfully. Dottie Taylor in our prayers as she uh, continues her recovery from pneumonia. The Advent and Christmas uh, season beginning uh, today that uh, the Lord would be glorified in it, that his gospel would go out uh, throughout all the world during this time of celebration and many be brought into his kingdom. The session and uh, diaconate meet tomorrow evening to work on next year's budget. Let's pray for uh, the Lord's uh, blessing and direction on that meeting. Sean and Lisa Radke are here with us today, and we're glad for that. We heard from them in the adult Sunday school about their vision for church planting in uh, Japan, in Tokyo in particular. The children are Kai and Ian and Naomi, although they're with uh, grandparents in Evansville today. Let's pray for the Lord's blessing and provision for the Radkeys as they seek to serve the Lord in Japan and for the church uh, there as well and for the Lord to pour out his uh, grace in Japan. If you haven't uh, gotten to hear something about uh, the, uh, what life is like in Japan, what the church is doing uh, in Japan and conditions there, I'd encourage you to talk to the uh, Radkeys after worship today. Finally, there will be many of our number uh, who are traveling this time of year, even this uh, Thanksgiving weekend. So let's pray for safety in, in that. Those are prayers to the Lord. Uh, Mr. Shields is going to lead us in prayer. Let's uh, join them by rising and add, adding our own hearty amen to these prayers as well.
Amen. Would you be seated, please? To the Gospel of Luke, we return this morning to the 10th chapter. We'll pick up at verse 38, Luke 10, 38, and we'll finish off the chapter this morning. I've uh, given an entire sermon already to this topic uh, when we were back at the beginning of chapter 8, so I'll not spend but a couple of minutes reminding you um, of the remarkable love and respect that Jesus uh, paid to women in his uh, ministry. Their God-given dignity was more than recognized by Jesus. It was given uh, the pride of place that um, the society and the church of Jesus' day almost universally denied it. While women were largely considered uh, support staff at best for the theological instruction of men, Jesus gladly taught women and included them among his disciples. Grace has no regard for gender. Since theology is essentially the study of God and of getting to know him better, Jesus considered it just as important for women as for men. And that much is evident from this episode, uh, as it is from many places elsewhere, particularly in the Gospel of Luke. Uh, Don't get to thinking, however... Uh, that the lessons we'll learn this morning from observing Jesus' interaction with a couple of female disciples uh, does not therefore apply also to all of you. They are universal, these lessons, for men and women and boys and girls alike. Let's pray. Father, open our eyes of men and women, boys and girls here to the great things that you have to say and marvelous in your word. And help us, Father, to conform our lives by the power of your Holy Spirit in us more and more to what you have made us to be and what, Lord Jesus, you have redeemed us to be and what, Holy Spirit, you have sealed salvation to us to be. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke 10, verse 38. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. I don't think that I've ever known, personally known, a person named Martha. If I have, I've forgotten. And should she somehow hear this sermon someday, I hope that she will forgive me for having forgotten her. Uh, I do know of a few Marthas, though, and so have you. 
There is that Martha who was the first uh, first lady of the United States of America, Martha Washington. And then there is that other Martha who is uh, ubiquitously known, at least uh, here in the United States. Uh, that, of course, is Martha Stewart. And then there is this Martha who lived in Bethany, just a couple miles east of Jerusalem, a friend of Jesus, along with her sister Mary, and now famous brother Lazarus. Curiously, all three of these Marthas, of whom I know, are known for similar things. Martha Stewart must be the baroness, you know, of, uh, of entertainment. Uh, Martha Washington is famous for her generosity and for her hospitality. She was known for overseeing the, all the facets of entertaining, from the flowers plucked from the garden to strategic guest seating, uh, to the creation of her massive uh, great cake, which required 40 eggs, four pounds each of butter and sugar, and five pounds each of flour and fruit. Martha Washington's secret weapon at Mount Vernon and in the White House was her coveted cookbook, which she received at the age of 17 from her first mother-in-law, uh, from the mother of Daniel Park Custis. And uh, by that time, the handwritten volume, bound in brown leather, had already been passed down through the Custis family for generations. Scholars believe that it had actually been written in the 1600s and reflected the grand dining traditions of Elizabethan England. After Martha was widowed and remarried a certain Colonel George Washington, in 1759, the cookbook dictated all of the meals served at Mount Vernon and at the White House. Here's an example of, of a menu from a typical night at Mount Vernon. Salmon puree soup, chicken patties, red cabbage stew, lamb tails, dressed greens, oyster loaves, asparagus, roasted wild duck, and crayfish in sauce, and finally jellied fruit and custards. Now I wonder if maybe Martha of Bethany might not have been trying to lay such a a spread, such a broad uh, board that very day that Jesus and probably his 12 disciples too visited her home. Alas, she became frenzied in the process. Her mind pulled in every direction, preparing this feast for Jesus and for Lazarus, Mary too and Martha plus, Peter and Andrew, James and John, Philip and Bartholomew, Matthew next and Thomas too, James the less and Judas the greater, Simon the jealous and Judas the traitor. And that is who was to become. I know the text only mentions Jesus as being welcomed into the house, but for reasons with which I will not bore you this morning, I think that Luke purposefully narrows down the narrative uh, from they to him for dramatic uh, emphasis. But at any rate, Martha's working like crazy. 
And the stress is building and building and building in Martha and the, the, to the point of frustration in her preparations. And, and she explodes finally, an angry outburst. What's brought Martha to this point? Has not Martha accomplished great feats of hospitality before? Why all this, this vexation now? Let me begin by saying that Martha is a wonderful saint. Martha is a faithful disciple of the Lord. She is an example, actually, of, of the 80-20 type of Christian. You've heard of them, or at least the, the rule, where 20% of the people in the church do 80% of the work. She is... She's a hard worker. She's gifted in hospitality. She's, she's heard and obeyed the commandment to contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality long before Paul ever wrote that commandment in his letter to the church at Rome. You know the type. I know it too because I happen to be married to a, a Martha. Uh, but maybe she went just a little too Far, just a little bit overboard on this particular day. She was so glad to see Jesus and his crew that her, her gift you know, slipped into overdrive. Maybe we say hyperdrive. Uh, some scholars think, in fact, that when Jesus said that one thing is necessary there uh, in verse 42, what he meant was that she didn't need to make a big ordinate, you know, multi-course meal. One thing will do. I suppose that's a possible interpretation. I don't know that I'm entirely convinced, but it does go somewhere toward getting to the idea of, of how busy Martha had made herself. So busy was she, in fact, that she was distracted. Distracted with serving. You could say she was going to pieces, bearing this self-appointed burden. And I think it's precisely there that we begin to find the, the understanding of her problem. She's taken upon herself more than is required. She loved to serve. And the way she loved to serve was that, or had come to love to serve, was that she first loved Jesus. Loved the Lord. Her service flowed from that love. But at some point, it went beyond that. What was at first a pure motive to love Christ became a motive of serving for serving's sake. Out of her strong sense of duty, she wrote a list as long as her arm, you know, of things to do for Jesus. The problem was that in the process, she lost sight of Jesus. She stopped serving Jesus and started serving her to-do list. Charles Spurgeon, with his typical insightfulness, comments, Her fault was not that she served. The condition of a servant well becomes every Christian. Her fault was that she grew, and now he's quoting the text, cumbered with much serving, so that she forgot him. Remembered only the service. Maybe a certain amount of pride started to creep in, do you think? 
Is not what I'm doing here in the kitchen more important than what Mary's up to? Maybe then a little self-pity in the mix. I'm so busy. You can hear it in her rebuke. Me, me, me. Her own high standards for herself had now become her own burden, an overwhelming one at that. And then the love completely wore off and anger took its place. I'm doing everything here. What's going on? She's not lifting a finger to help me. Isn't that the way it is with people who work very hard in the church? Pretty soon, working hard and working hard for the sake of working hard, we're serving ourselves, really. We start thinking what we're getting out of this. And then we start resenting it. And then, of course, there must be someone else to blame, right? Back to Martha, here comes the explosion. Not at Mary so much, and remarkably so at Jesus. Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve all alone? Tell her to help me. What's happened? What's Martha doing? Martha is assuming that everybody should serve Jesus the way she is serving Jesus. Why isn't Mary as committed as I am? People are busy in ministry in the church or can be tempted to ask themselves the very same things. Why aren't other people as committed as I am? to this ministry? Why aren't they volunteering? Why aren't they showing up? Jesus replies to all of that with firmness and tenderness. Martha, Martha, you're anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. What is that good portion of which Jesus speaks? If you're looking for Jesus to spell it out for you in so many words, you know, prepare yourself for disappointment. <laughs> he doesn't spell it out. Not in verbal terms anyway. He doesn't give you a proposition. What he does give you is a picture. Look at Mary. What is she doing? She's at the feet of Jesus. She's absorbing the words of Jesus. She's fellowshipping with Jesus. She's basking in the grace of Jesus. Jesus, in other words, is the good portion. Notice that Jesus doesn't take signs here. He doesn't say, yeah, Mary, get to work. Help your sister out for crying out loud. You know, he doesn't say to Mary, come on, you know, shed the apron uh, sit down and join us for the really important stuff you know, going on over here. He says, Mary has chosen the good portion. She's chosen Jesus and she's delighting herself in him. A very important question is raised at this point, isn't it? 
especially for the Marthas among us. Can you not be a Martha? Can you not be a busy servant of the Lord? Can you not make meals and practice hospitality and clean children's runny noses and run errands to the grocery store and, and choose the good portion? Can you not work on the Sunday bulletin and care for the needy and sweep the church floor and get the good portion? Must it be one or the other? Must it be Mary or Martha? Three things for us Christians to do with all of this. I'll get back to that question in a moment. But first, note well that there are different kinds of saints in the church. There are different kinds of saints in the church. Not all of the sheep are exactly the same. Not every tree in God's garden is precisely alike. There are differing gifts. There are differing personalities, there are different temperaments. That's not a bad thing. That's a very good thing, actually. Look at these sisters. Joanna Weaver does and observes that Mary's bent was to meander through life, pausing to smell the roses. Martha's was more likely, Martha was more likely to, to pick the roses, quickly cut the stems at an angle, and arrange them in a vase with baby's breath and ferns. <laughs> there are different kinds of people in the church. So we shouldn't be surprised if they serve the Lord in different ways. Does that mean that one is more faithful, a better servant, a better Christian than the other? No. Now look at these two. Both are faithful disciples of Christ. Both of them feel the weight of their sins. Both of them repent. Both of them believe in the Lord Jesus Christ for their salvation. Both glorify God. But they're different. And there's no reason for one to despise the other or for one to think less of the other. God has given various gifts without which the church would not survive. And certainly not thrive as it does when every one of you is using your own set of gifts or your spiritual gift, whatever the Lord has given you, and serving the Lord out of your own unique personality and skill. Then the church thrives. Second, we must beware of putting service over worship. That essentially is the error, I think, that Mary's committed here. It was not service that was her error. It was service over worship. It was being busy without being reverent. That fact is revealed by the spirit of her angry outburst. She calls him Lord, yes, and for that she should be praised, but, but she's not loving Jesus when she demands that he take up her cause. She has it just backwards. What we need to do is take up Jesus' cause. Does that mean leaving the kitchen? Well, it might, for a moment, anyway. If we're so busy serving the Lord that we haven't time, or so we think, to stop and to listen to his voice, and to read his word and to 
to pray. Well, then service has pushed out worship. Busy Christians can relate to this. Faithful Christians, they they remember how they used to pray. They remember how they used to spend time in the Word, but now they're so busy keeping up the programs, you know, or helping out the poor, or counseling fellow believers, or preparing lessons, or raising their children, caring for their spouse, helping the pastor, whatever. They just don't have time to spend at Jesus' feet between waking up in the morning and and falling into bed exhausted at night. But that kind of service will eventually burn a person out. It loses its vitality, its life, its strength, its focus. It drifts off course because it no longer charts its course by the day star Christ. Serving Christ becomes reduced now they're just serving. Service is fine, serving others, of course. Martha was a wonderful hostess. Later on, she will serve the Lord again by hosting him, as you remember, around the time of Lazarus' death and resurrection. You might also remember, though, that when that time, recorded in John, when she heard that Jesus was on his way, she dropped everything and ran to meet Jesus She had heard this rebuke. She had received and embraced these faithful wounds of a friend. She had learned. And interestingly, Mary stayed home. I wouldn't be surprised to find out that when Martha ran out to meet Jesus, Mary took over in the kitchen. Serving the Lord and worshiping the Lord are not mutually exclusive things rather complimentary. In fact, we can take it even further, which brings me to the third point. We must live lives of worship and service, and it is entirely possible for us to live lives of worshipful service. Worshipful service. It's not as though our lives have to be lived in these tight, you know, compartments, compartmentalized uh, lives and broken up in little pieces like that, worshiping at one point, serving at another. Of course, there need to be times of worship, for formal worship in God's house. Here we are. Of private worship, of, of family worship. But the worship doesn't have to end when you close your hymnal and put down your Bible and get up off your knees. Jesus is not with you only when you're having your devotions. You can pray to Jesus. You can commune with Jesus all the time, everywhere. You can wash dishes and pray. You can prepare food for family and guests and have fellowship with Jesus too. Maybe I wonder if what Martha should have done just maybe is invite Jesus and Mary to bring the conversation into the kitchen. <laughs> if you haven't heard of the French monk Nicholas Herman, you may recognize him by another name, Brother Lawrence. He wrote famously about practicing the presence of God in daily life. It was his ambition to, quote, do everything for the love of God and with 
prayer, end quote. It was, he knew from experience, very hard to do. For all of the distractions of life, especially when he was working in the kitchen. Once, over time, he learned to commune with Jesus uh, as much in the kitchen as anywhere else. He was able to do just that. He said, the time of business does not with me differ from the time of prayer. And in the noise and clatter of my kitchen, while several persons are at the same time calling for different things, (laughs) I possess as great a tranquility as if I were upon my knees. It was not so much that he did different things is that he did things differently. He did his work as unto Jesus. And so he communed with God, even in the middle of the racket. Both Mary and her sister Martha learned this too. Mary could sit at Jesus' feet and listen, but then later we see her rising to break perfume on Jesus' feet and prepare him for the burial that even his close disciples of 12 had misunderstood and really totally missed that Mary understood and acted on that understanding. Martha could serve as the perfect hostess and also run out and meet Jesus and confess his resurrection power at her brother's grave before anyone even imagined that Jesus would soon be himself rising from the dead. They both learned, happily, they both learned to choose the good portion. And it was never and shall never be taken away from either one. Listen, at work, you may worshipfully serve, worshipfully serve the Lord. In your car, you can commune as you commute. As you serve your family, you can be serving the Lord. Remember that line, whatever you do for the least of these, you do for me. We can be worshipers and workers both. Or as Charles Wesley put it in one of his old hymns, Faithful to my Lord's commands, I still would choose the better part. Serve with careful Martha's hands and loving Mary's heart. Amen. And a life rising from this worship of God, this uh, worship that we can, as used to be said in the old days, husband. In the time to come, that we can continue worshiping the Lord, remembering, recalling the fellowship we had with Him in His house, continuing it with hymns and spiritual songs and psalms on our hearts, even as we go about our work and a life rising, particularly out of having been with the Lord at His very table. Let's pray. Father, we pray that 
Indeed, you will do such a work in us that we may here at this table choose the good portion, but then not leave that portion behind our Father, but take it with us and enjoy it and um, continue to thrive from the grace that you pour out upon us even here at your table in your house. We pray this with thanksgiving in our hearts that such things are possible because of your Holy Spirit who lives in us and always goes with us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As a, I'll ask that the servers please come forward at this time, and as the bread is being distributed, we will sing. Let all mortal flesh keep silence. Insert it in your bulletin. of the Lord and in obedience to him that we do this. From the very night on which the Lord was betrayed, he took bread. And after having given thanks, as has been done in his name, he broke it, gave it to his disciples, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me.
In like manner, after the supper, he takes the cup, saying, This cup is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the forgiveness of sin. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Apostle Paul adds, as often as we eat the bread and drink the cup, we do proclaim the Lord's death until he come. He has come already for us to accomplish our salvation. Now we may say just as heartily and uh, with great joy and anticipation, come again, our Lord Jesus, let's rise and speak to him.
the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. Be seated for a few announcements, please, and thank you for your patience on that account.